Hi, and welcome to the Fire Inspired Young Apostolic Podcast, or FIRE for short. My name is Brother uh, Matt Smith, and uh, we want to wish everyone a happy Easter. And uh, I know it's a few days early, but we're going to take the next four days, and we're going to be looking at Easter. And we're going to be experiencing Easter uh, through a biblical lens. And... uh, and uh, before we begin, I just kind of want to uh, tell you that um, that in our society, the cross is a freely displayed, but really is a superficial or um, or is just a popular thing, but no one really understands the reason back behind it. So we're going to be taking the next four weeks, or the next four days, sorry, and we're going to be looking at... Um, at Easter, we're going to be looking at it uh, today through the journey of the cross. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be looking at the commitment to the cross. Then um, Saturday, we're going to be looking at victory at the cross, and then later in Sunday um, evening uh, after service. We're going to be talking about the message of the cross. And I just feel like this is a timely um, lesson, timely word. And um, and so for today, our, uh, basically the uh, bottom line of this uh, lesson is that in the days of, of Jesus' crucifixion, he taught the invaluable lesson about the Christian faith. Okay? So... Uh, so obviously, as um, some of you have probably heard, this is known as Passion Week, uh, and uh, Passion Week um, simply is um, simply is the time from uh, Palm Sunday to Easter. Uh, it's it's the the um, the week leading up to Easter Sunday, and so uh, we're in the Passion Week. And, um, and so, uh, so Passion Week really starts with Palm Sunday, is what we call it, and Palm Sunday was Jesus' triumphant entry, uh, into, um, Jerusalem, and uh, we find this in John, the 12th chapter, 12 through 19, and then we're gonna, uh, also read Zechariah 9 and 9, eventually, um, but, uh, it starts off with, uh, it starts it off with, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, hence Palm Sunday, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass or a young uh, donkey, sat thereon as it as it is written or as it was already written years ago fear not daughter of zion behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt these things understood not his disciples at first but when jesus was glorified or when jesus was uh, crucified buried and risen again then remembered they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. 
The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bared record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Verse 19 is where I want to end. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. The week of the Passover starts on the Sunday or starts with the day that we call Palm Sunday and we celebrate that day as when Jesus made his triumphant entry or he rode into Jerusalem. And you see, when he rode into Jerusalem, Jerusalem was filled with Jews preparing for the feast of the Passover. Now you might say, well, what is the Passover? Well, the Passover was an eight-day feast. It usually took place uh, every spring. And uh, it was a commemoration or memorial uh, feast uh, of the Israelites' departure from Egypt over... Uh, over thousands of years before, and especially in Jesus' time, it was it was over a thousand years, and uh, and the word Passover usually refers to uh, the uh, Israelites when they were in Egypt when God sent the ten plagues. The final the final plague that came was the death angel, and uh, they were to take the uh, blood of the lamb. And they were to put it on their doorpost. And as the death angel came along through the whole um, country of Egypt, that uh, if he if he did not see the blood applied to the doorpost, then um, he would come in and take the firstborn child. But the uh, but if he saw the blood applied, then the death angel would pass over. And so therefore that. Uh, so when they talk about the pass, the Passover, they're talking about the time when the death angel passed over, passed over their house because he saw the blood. And so during this triumphant entry, Jesus rode in Jerusalem. Uh, also, it tells us on an unbroken colt or an unbroken uh, donkey, so to speak. And what that means uh, is that he used an untamed colt. Something that had never been ridden before. Uh, and we have to look at this very uh, specially because the untamed cult symbolized that he had rule, Jesus had rule over all creation because he was God manifest in the flesh. Also, as we look at it as he was riding on the unbroken uh, cult or donkey, uh, his humble entrance illustrates he was a meek servant rather than a mighty hero, which the Jews had been expecting this whole time. They had been looking for a soldier when they really should have been looking for a savior. This event was was uh, deliberately, it was a deliberate event because it needed to fulfill the prophecy of the humble king's, uh, king's promise as found in Isaiah or Zechariah 9 and 9 where it says 
Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt of a fold of an ass. So as you can see, Jesus' Jesus' ride into Jerusalem was already foretold many, many, many years ago, at least over 400 years or more by the prophet uh, Zechariah. So Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the Hebrew month, Nisa. And so the so so just like we have months of um, March, June, July, August, well they had different types of months. And so during this month it was called Nisa and uh, usually is when the Passover is um, is celebrated and uh, this month is usually the the time that they uh, that they celebrate this. And on the tenth day of Nisa, uh, also was significant because uh, it was the day that the male lambs that were chosen for the Passover sacrifice that they were to be doing uh, that would be taking uh, place four days later. And so, uh, so you might say, well. Well, why did they need to be uh, taken, or why did they need to be chosen? Well, because uh, they, after the Passover, they began to take lambs and they would uh, do sacrifices uh, unto the Lord. And so, uh, just as the male lamb was kept at the temple for observation in the days leading up to the slaughter of of this uh, delicate creature, we find that Jesus spent his last days teaching in the temple. Now tell me that's not just a good correlation because we know that Jesus was the Lamb of God from which the world's sin would be taken away. You see, the Jews recognized Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as a fulfillment of the old-time prophecy of the Messiah. They went out to meet him because they had seen and heard of his miracles, and many had witnessed Lazarus's resurrection or the recent resurrection from the dead. Secondly, they created a royal carpet on the road for Jesus to ride upon. They spreaded their cloaks in his path. They spreaded out branches that they had cut off from the fields. They had went ahead of and behind Jesus, shouting and praising God. They cried, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is, is a Hebrew expression of praise. If we were to really look at, at the meaning of Hosanna, Hosanna means to save or, or to save now. So, Jesus' dramatic uh, entrance would kind of bring back a good... Uh, uh, reminiscence or a good memory of perhaps maybe an, a coronation or a crowning of an Old Testament king, uh, Old Testament kings. Uh, for an example, we can look at Solomon's coronation or Solomon's uh, crowning in First uh, Kings, the, fir- uh, the first chapter and the thirty-eighth uh, verse. It says, "So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benadad." 
the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, went down and caused Solomon to ride upon David's mule, and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed uh, Solomon. And they blew the trumpets, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. So as we can see, it, it, it was almost kind of a similar in crowning their king. And, uh, and the Jewish people at this time, they, they really thought that Jesus was coming to overthrow, um, overthrow the, the Roman Empire. But he was really coming to overthrow the, the empire of, of sin, death, and hell that, that the devil had dominion over. And he had come to... He had come to overthrow that, and so he had come to overthrow, yes, but not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. But at this time, nonetheless, they were crowning him king of kings, whether they realized it or not. So several things happened as a result of Jesus' triumphant entry or triumphant ride into Jerusalem. The crowd approved Jesus. Approval of Jesus fueled the Pharisees' anger towards him. You see, the the Pharisees already were jealous of the attention that Jesus had been receiving throughout his ministry here on on earth, and the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke uh, to rebuke his followers to tell them to be quiet. But Jesus told them that if these people would be quiet, then the stones themselves would cry out after him those awaiting a messiah to deliver them from the roman empire grew hopefully later when jesus rode into jerusalem and he didn't lift a finger against the romans those who had held him or crowned him or had praised him upon his uh, arrival were bitterly disappointed you see, Jesus was not a mighty warrior as they had envisioned. They had envisioned maybe a David. They had probably envisioned a Gideon. The, uh, they probably had envisioned uh, maybe a Samson to come and lead them out. But he didn't come that way. They wanted someone like David, who was a great military leader perhaps. They wanted freedom from the Romans. They wanted an earthly and political kingdom. You see, the Jews didn't want want, or expect a kingdom that centered on God's ruling the heart of his people. You see, their disappointment fed the, the hatred that would lead to them screaming, Crucify him! Only days after crying, Hosanna! Save us now! Believe it or not, when they said Hosanna to save us now. And when they cried crucify him. If we really look. It took Jesus' dying on the cross. To save us now. Knowing what was to come. Jesus wept as he approached Jerusalem. Jesus wept not for himself. But for the disasters. These people would endure. 
for their for their ignorance and blindness. Only after Jesus had died and rose again or was resurrected did the disciples we find in the scripture recognize his arrival in Jerusalem as a fulfillment of Old Testament biblical prophecy. Now imagine your nation was enslaved of foreigners and a rising leader promised to set you free just as Jesus said he would. How would you feel after your hopes were up and this leader what it seemed to your eye was doing nothing? You'd be kind of disappointed. You'd kind of maybe pout. But Jesus was doing something in the background. Now let's look at uh, during this during this time of his arrival, there was an alabaster anointing. In Mark, the the 14th chapter, in the 3rd through the ninth verse, it says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spinkner, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some with indignation, or some with um, with sore displeasement within themselves, and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence, and have been given to the poor and they murmured against her and Jesus said let her alone why trouble ye her she hath wrought a good work on me for ye have the poor with you always and whensoever ye will ye may do them good but ye have not but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached there throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. So as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, several days leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus was in Bethany resting in the home of the Simon the leopard, as we can read. When a woman came in with a jar or with a box, if you if you like to call it that, of a very expensive perfume or ointment, the Bible calls it an ointment of spinkner. Now spinkner. A spintner was a highly valued ointment or oil or perfume, if you'd like to call it that, in ancient times, especially back in in uh, Jesus' uh, Jesus's day. The woman anointed Jesus' hair with perfume as he reclined or sat at the table. And inadvertently, her actions 
foreshadow Jesus' coming death and burial. And you might say, well, how is that? Well, in ancient societies, or in ancient times, uh, they took care of their dead. They took care of the bodies that had died. What they would do is they would wash and they would anoint them with with a very uh, with a very uh, aromatic blend of oils and spices, so that so that as the body would uh, as the body would sit, it wouldn't uh, stink up the place. And though she did not know it, this woman was preparing Jesus for his burial. All she wanted was to be close to him. Those present became became very jealous, became very displeased at the waste of such an expensive ointment. They went as far as to say within themselves that they uh, they they said that it could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. They rebuked and criticized this woman harshly, maybe even openly, or to each other. But Jesus told everyone to leave this woman alone because he said that she had done a beautiful thing. That they would have the poor with them always, they, but they would not have him present in bodily form. He also said that this woman had done all that she could for him. She had nothing left to offer but this. And that this woman had anointed him with a perfume to prepare him for his burial. And wherever the gospel would be preached, this woman's actions would be told in her memory. Today, by, by talking about this story, we fulfill Jesus' prophecy. Are you ever so overcome with love for God that you don't care what others think? Or are you hesitant? Are you reserved and always keeping yourself in check? This We can learn a valuable lesson from this woman that that when you want Jesus bad enough, you don't care what other people have because you want to just be with the Master. Now we've talked about Jesus' triumphant entry and we are talking about His journey To the cross. So it started with. A ride into Jerusalem. Then it went from a ride into Jerusalem. To an anointing for his burial. An alabaster anointing. The next step. To the journey of the cross. Was a, be was a betrayal. By a friend. You see, the chief priests, elders, and scribes assembled with Caiaphas, the high priest, came together to plot how they could 
arrest Jesus and kill him. They wanted to get rid of Jesus because they were scared of the multitudes who followed him. Not only were they jealous of Jesus, they thought he was disrespectful and not reverent. The, and the thing you must realize is that the Jews strongly believed in one God. Most Jews today, uh, and even devout Jews even then, uh, tradition holds that as on their deathbed, they would quote Deuteronomy's, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they would quote, quote that on their deathbed if they could as a sign of faith and declaration. So they did believe in one God. And believing with that, they found Jesus' claim downright blasphemous. When Jesus asserted, or Jesus told them that he was equal with God, they thought, oh man, this guy cannot be. We find this in John, the the, the 10th chapter. John, uh, I love the book of John because John really uh, hammers home that Jesus was God in the flesh. And uh, so was uh, so does First John and Second John, and uh, Third John. Uh, that in his books he really just points to the to the oneness of God. Uh, in John uh, ten uh, thirty through thirty three, it says, "I and my Father are one." Then the Jews took up stones against him, against to stone him, and Jesus answered them, "Many good works have I shewed." you from my father for which of those works do ye stone me and the jews answered and saying for for a good work we stone thee not but for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself god we we also find this in uh the um 38th verse through the 39th verse and it says but if i do Thou ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know, and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, because he is, but he escaped out of their hands. You see, when Jesus equaled himself to God, they couldn't see that he was God in the flesh. Also, they thought it was they thought it was blasphemy uh, when Jesus uh, claimed and proved that he could forgive uh, people's sins, and they knew that that was something only God could do. We find this in Mark, the uh, the, the second chapter, five through seven. It says, "And when Jesus saw their faith, referring to the." The, the four men that brought down the, the man sick with palsy from the ladder, uh, from the roof, I mean. Uh, when they saw, when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy, thy sins be forgiven. But there were certain of the scribes. Now, who was it that was jealous? The chief priests, elders, scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees. These were the same ones that were sitting there. And reasoned in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only?
And Jesus goes on to tell him, which one's easier for you to understand? Me to tell this guy to arise and walk or to forgive, him, forgive his sins because only God can do something along these lines. You see, the Jews did not believe Jesus could be God robed in flesh. And during this time that they were plotting to kill him, Satan had entered into Judas's heart. Which Judas? Judas the Iscariot. One of the twelve disciples. One of the very men chosen by God himself. Though Judas is remembered as the betrayer, he must have been respected among the disciples. Because we, we find in the scripture that Judas was the one entrusted with the group's money. And it appears Judas sat beside Jesus during the Last Supper. You see, Judas was the most vocal of the condemners in John 12. When Mary anointed Jesus' feet and wiped, the, wiped them with her hair. John said Judas did not care for the poor, but he was a thief. We find this in, in John, the, the 12th chapter. In the 6th verse, it tells it like this. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bared what was put therein. And this verse is referring to Judas. So... Judas went to the chief priests and asked what they could give him if he would turn Jesus over to them. And what he didn't realize is that he didn't have the power to turn Jesus over. Jesus willingly gave himself. But when Judas went ahead with his plan, the chief priests were delighted. They agreed to give G uh, Judas 30 pieces of silver. Now, we understand that through the scripture that, that 30 pieces of silver has a significant role. And according to Bible times and, and many scholars and theologians, they say that this was the price of, of a, uh, a low price of a common slave. Uh, we, find, we find this price in Exodus, the uh, 21st chapter in the um, in the 32nd verse it says and if the ox shall pull push a manservant or a maidservant he shall give unto their master 30 shekels or 30 pieces of silver and the ox shall be stoned now think about this Jesus is God wrapped in flesh but he loved you and I so much that he took on the form of a servant. And that when, when Judas decided to betray him. And, and ask for a price. And they said we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. The lowest price for for a just a common servant. Not even uh, just basically a hireling. Jesus said you know what I'll still take that role. So that I might win you and me. And there have been many people who have said that 30 shekels and 30 pieces aren't the same. Uh, 
but you know, regardless of, of what the amount he received, Judas sold his soul tragically very cheap. His soul was worth more than all the gold and silver in the world. Judas began to watch for a chance to hand Jesus over. And when there was no crowd present, this incident raises many questions. Judas was a first-hand witness to Jesus' miracles and teachings. Jesus even uh, Jesus even sent him out with the other disciples and and uh, they saw demons cast out. They saw people healed. So how could he so readily and so quick quickly betray Jesus? And we, we have to understand that at some point Judas did believe that Jesus was the Son of God because he because he heard the call and did follow and became and wanted to become a fisher of men. But when did Judas belief of Jesus was the Son of God get diluted, washed away, or so or so easily forgotten? The question also could be said was um, was he upset with Jesus when he didn't come in and overthrow the Roman government? We understand that through the scripture that that Judas uh, that Judas um, was just fulfilling the part of prophecy of of someone betraying Jesus, and we understand that. That no matter what, that this had to be played out some way or another. But perhaps it, it didn't have to be Judas. Maybe it could have been another disciple. So on the way to the cross, we've talked about the triumphant entry. The anointing, the alabaster anointing for the burial. The betrayal by a friend. Tune in to the next step to the next episode as we uh, continue our part two of the journey to the cross.